0: following message was recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of his people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. It has been an eventful week for Vicksburg, hasn't it? We are on the back end of, of water crisis 2017. People are starting to get water again, all right? Um, some homes are still struggling to get water, but we are, we are getting to the point of full service of water to this community. And let me tell you, I have never thought about water like I have this week. Um, I have never thanked God. For water like I have this week. I have never thanked God for a hot shower like I thank God this week. It's, it's amazing how some of the smallest things, you know, so they, they 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 can be overlooked and dismissed and discounted, and it's easy for us to po- poke our finger up at God when, when things aren't going right, and it's easy to poke our finger at God when we, you know, when our car breaks down or something like that, or we have like some weird thing happening at the house. But, man, ain't it good to just have water? Amen. Period, right? You know, all the other things, yeah, that's, that's cool. But, man, listen, you can have cars, clothes, lights, electricity. You can have all of that. Son, if you ain't got water, it's going to be trouble. And so bless God for just having water. So, it's interesting that one of the things we're going to talk about today, or the thing that we're going to talk about today, is our fifth value of this church. It's the value of emptying empowerment. And the reason I say it's interesting is because we have a slew of things going on in our church life right now. A slew of things going on in our church life. Next week, for example, we got adopted classes at Vicksburg uh, Intermediate and Warren Central Intermediate. They're, they're, they're having their end of the year party and we're, and we're probably gonna end up participating in it and serving our serving our adopted classes. And by the way, if you wanna give a donation to that, you can go to citylightvicksburg.org uh, slash give and just, you can put in there a donation that, hey, I wanna give to the uh, to the kids end of the year party. Or you can see Tracy Smith, um, who's the liaison for our Warren Central Intermediate classroom. I'm not sure about our Vicksburg because we were talking about it and then the water thing happened. So I think we still got to figure out what, Mc- what Ms. Cranfield is doing um, now that the water thing has happened. But we're going to have a, um, a great party Tuesday at Warren Central Intermediate. That's one thing that's going on. Um, we got, in the first week of June, we got a couple of summer camps that are kicking off. We got Wind Shape. Uh, summer camp that's kicking off, and it's going to be a five-day camp, and it's an athletic camp and all kinds of archery and different sports are going to be taught and it's going to be hot and kids are going to be burning up and hopefully not passing out. We'll be trying to give out as much water as we can, but you can volunteer for that. If you if you want to volunteer for that, you can go to our webpage and, or you can go um, and talk to Marvin Brown, who's uh, serving as our liaison. He's back there and you can join up with that. we got another summer camp that's kicking off. Central Mississippi Prevention Services is kicking off. There's six months, I mean six not six months, whoo, that, that would be bad for Mr. Joe. Six week long summer camp. And that is kicking off in the same week as that one week long windshake camping. You can volunteer in a myriad of different ways. If you just wanna jump in during a couple of, uh, couple of lunch breaks or you just wanna stop by and, 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 and speak to the kids about vocation. There's all sorts of different ways that you can uh, plug in and you can talk to Mr. Joe about that. We're gonna, well not replace, but we're going to place baby bottles at the connect desk today on the way out. Unfortunately, we won't be placing them too quick because they're sitting in my truck. But we're going to place baby bottles at some point at the connect desk today. And the reason we're placing baby bottles at the connect desk is because CPC, Center for Pregnancy Choices, is actually conducting one of their big fundraisers um, within the month of May and June to raise funds for their support of young parents in our community or parents that are wrestling with abortion or parents that just need help, and, and they're kicking off that fundraising. we want to plug in so you can take one of those baby bottles home with you, throw in loose change from uh, from this week all the way until the week of Father's Day, and then we're going to collect those baby bottles back and then take those back to the CPC. And so that way, they can provide prospective parents hope where there appears to be no hope. They can supply them with resources to care for newborn children. They can provide training and counseling and mentoring to, to, to help These parents, these young parents, for the most part, become great parents. And all of that is to say nothing about the slideshow that you're looking at right now, where there is all kinds of water on pictures. Right? We literally gave out 700 cases of water in two days, between Friday and Saturday. 700 cases of water was shipped out of this building. It was insane. Well, what does all that mean? What's, what's the significance of that? Well, it just so happens that all of this stuff is happening on the same week that I'm preaching to y'all about emptying empowerment. And emptying empowerment, it's almost like I don't really have to preach the sermon. That's what it is. Everything that you've heard, everything that you—that I've just read down the list of, the, thing, the pictures that you're seeing, this is what emptying empowerment is. Emptying empowerment is... A lifestyle of sacrificing power in order to see others in power it's not a day it's not a moment it's not a time window it's not a special event where we all rally together and say let's do this it is a lifestyle that is lived in which you are sacrificing power for the sake of others power is such a such a loose word so you have to kind of define it and and, and so I like to define it with five P's When I talk about power, I'm talking about the people that you know. I'm talking about the position that you carry in in your community, in your home, in your job, in place of work. I'm talking about the pedagogy that you possess or the the teaching, the education that you possess that you can give and share with other people. I'm talking about the possessions that are within your grasp that you can share and distribute to other people. And then I'm talking about your privilege, whatever your privilege is, two-parent home well-educated home, black family well-off, white family well-off. I'm talking about all sorts and shapes and sizes of privileges that you can take advantage of, for example, the privilege of running water. We don't even think twice about it, do we? And there are millions of people in this world who do not have the privilege of the simplicity of running water. Is a privilege, a privilege that we most often ignore. So when I talk about power, I'm talking about all of those different things. How are you leveraging these things that God has given you, right? It's not yours. It was given to you by grace from God. How are you leveraging these things for the sake of others and for the empowerment and the good of others? That's what it means. And you can find it right here in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is about emptying empowerment. Matter of fact, it, Philippians chapter 2 actually starts in chapter 1, right? If you go back, you go back a few verses in chapter 1, look at verse 27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, So Paul, a very, interesting thing, a very interesting thing takes place in this text. Verse 29, it says, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And then from there, Paul launches into a discussion about service and sacrifice. So notice the Transition from suffering, right, to service and sacrifice. That's where he's going with this. Now you think, wait a second, Paul, I'm already, I'm, already on, you know, I'm already on the ground, right? Do I really have any room for service? Do I really have any room in the midst of suffering? Where is the room for sacrifice? Are you, are you tracking with that? Are you, trending? Are, you, are you noticing where Paul is going? So here, so let's 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 ch- let's chat a little bit about about the significance of that. Maybe it happens during the water crisis of 2017, uh, or when there is little food left in a community. Maybe there's some sort of uh, some food crisis. Uh, obviously, obviously that that that's not happening here, but it happens in other places. Or, and I wouldn't classify this as suffering, but maybe it's on Black Friday when you're looking for that last Blu-ray player, right? And people are kicking each other and running over each other and stepping on each other and all that. What you, what you notice is that typically when the, when the angst is higher, when the, when the resources are scarce, people don't think about serving one another. They think about serving themselves, right? But Paul is saying in the midst of this, he's about to launch into a discussion about serving each other as he talks about the suffering that they're experiencing. And so Paul says in in the kingdom, things are actually flipped against our our natural instincts. Our natural instincts want to clam up, tighten down, get tighter and tighter and tighter, me and mine, when things start getting stressful, right? Survival instinct kicks in. And we're like, listen, don't grab that bottle of water. I'm going to punch you in the face, right? That's what happens. You know, when there's plenty of water... Nope. everybody's happy. When it gets tight, I'm going to jab you if you grab my bottle of water. And, and, there, and there was some of that even this week at Pemberton, right? I got cursed out Friday about a bottle of water. I got cursed out. Man was driving off, cursed me out. Threw me a couple, threw me a couple of bottles. I was like, all right, God bless you, man. <laughs> Praise God. Sorry, man, we out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't have any more. I'm sorry. But, but when things get tight... We get to me and mine, and Paul says, in the kingdom, when things get tight, we even we start thinking about each other more. You know that has to take God, right? You know there has to be transformation to even think about something like that. But that's what he says. Verse 1 in chapter 2, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ in light of the suffering, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. If there is any Christ working in us in light of suffering, so in light of suffering, here's my command to you, but my command is going to be preceded, by a couple of motivations, right? So before I give you the command, I'm gonna ask you a question. If there is, is there rather, any Christ in us, any Christ in you, and if there is any Christ in you, then is there in fact love that proceeds from being in Christ and known by Christ? Then he says, here's another question. Is there any fellowship the spirit in you? In other words, does the Holy Spirit reside here? In light of the suffering, I'm going to give you a commandment, but I need to ask you these things. Is Christ here? And is the spirit here? At all. Any, any, any shape, any form, any fashion. Are they present? If they are, then complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So if they're present, if Christ is present with his love, if the spirit is present with the affection and the sympathy that comes with his fellowship, then finish my joy that began when you got saved, finish it by coming together in the midst of your suffering. Does that make sense? Not, not, not doing this in the midst of suffering, right? Because that's natural instinct. That's survivalist instinct, right? Not doing this in the midst of suffering, closing off from one another. That's naturalist. That's survivalist. But rather doing what? Open arms. Let's, let's all come together on this, right? Let's all come together. It's tight, but hey, let, what, whatever we got. You need a shower, you can come to my house and shower. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Maybe you don't have a shower, but maybe I do, so you can use my shower. So we, we open our embrace. We don't close it in the midst of suffering. That's what Paul is saying. Unity, folks, listen, unity is very much tied to the sacrifice that we offer each other. You can't get to unity without sacrifice. I'll, 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 I'll speak to that in just a second. Verse 3. Let's talk about a little bit about the mentality for emptying empowerment. That was setting the stage for emptying empowerment. Let's talk about the mentality. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So in these next two verses, Paul unpacks the mentality of emptying empowerment. Again, that it is sacrificing use of our power for the empowerment of others. And he does that by using two negative words and one positive. The two negative words are selfish ambition and conceit. Selfish ambition and conceit. The positive word is humility. But notice, again, that they are flowing out of a command for unity. So he says, right, be one, one mind, right? He says, be on full accord, be in the same love. And then he begins to start, start talking about serving one another. You say, why? Well, because unity flows out of service. Let me talk to you about marriage. I give, I give, I give uh, married couples always three paradoxes. Anybody, if they ever ask me about counsel, I always start them with three paradoxes. One of the paradoxes that I offer them is the paradox of selfless happiness, selfless joy. And, what, and, and so the tip that I give a, a couple about to be married is that in order for you to maximize joy in marriage, both of you have to be thinking about each other and not yourself. If you're thinking about yourself, If either one of you are thinking about yourself, you are cheating your joy in marriage. In order for you to maximize joy, both of you have to be thinking about one another and not thinking about yourself. The same applies in church to maximize the joy of our church, to maximize it so that, so that we offer the greatest display of Christ to the community that we exist in, then we cannot be thinking about our individual wants and preferences first. We have to be thinking about the, the collective good. My mind has to be fixed on what can, we, what can I do to bring more collective good to the whole? If I come in saying, well, you know, I like when we do this, and I like when we do that, and and I think we should do it this way, I want to do it that way, then then listen, I am cheating my church of joy. Are you tracking? And so Paul, in order to get to unity that he talks about in verse 2, he starts talking about selflessness. He starts saying, empty yourself of selfish ambition. Empty yourself of Conceitedness and take on humility. Now, let's look at those three words. Selfish ambition. Let me just say this first. To do nothing out of vain conceit and selfish motive highlights just how unappealing those attributes are to God. He says don't do anything. In other words, don't even do good things with selfish ambition. Don't even do good things with conceitedness. It shows you how unappealing they are. There's no time, there's no moment in life where selfish ambition and, and conceitedness are good ways to accomplish tasks. They're not even good ways to serve, even though oftentimes we serve in that manner. James even says in, 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 verse, in chapter 3, verse 16, of, 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 the, of, of the epistle of James, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, chaos ensues. Even if the jealousy and selfish ambition is in the midst of what we would consider good deeds, if the jealousy and selfish ambition is lying in the heart of the person accomplishing those good deeds, then there is still chaos on the fringes. Do you understand? So what is selfish ambition? It is living life like it is a race to the top, and there's only one spot, mine. It's an increasing passion to be number one that stains your actions and stains your path your, and poisons, rather, your attitude towards others. It doesn't matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing, it really does not matter. If it's done consciously or if it's done unconsciously, it really does not matter. If it's done with a purpose of simply being greater than others, it will always breed division and always breed sin. Now notice, I did not say that it is not done with the purpose of being great. There's nothing wrong with pursuing greatness. What's wrong is pursuing greatness at the cost of other people. If you pursue greatness at at the expense of seeing people elevated, then there's nothing wrong with the greatness that you pursue. Most of us don't pursue greatness that way. Most of us pursue greatness at the cost of others. And whatever we have to rob, whatever we have to break, whatever we have to take, whatever, whatever, whatever letdowns other people in our lives have to experience in order for me to be number one, then so be it. Does that make sense? It's almost like we're the football team that if a guy breaks his legs, so, oh, well, you know, it's <laughs> good for me, right? Good for me. He broke his legs, so I get, I, get, I get the spot, right? Or, 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 or the other team, you know, quarterback, it's out for the season. You know, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, he's out for the season. That's good for us. Now we can win. And that's how we do life sometimes with one another. We look for moments and opportunities and slip-ups from others, and we say, well, great. That means I can get that spot now. That's selfish ambition. That's not the way greatness is to be pursued. There's a significant difference between a desire to be great for the sake of others and being great at the cost of others. You understand that? One brings those around them up with their greatness. They're elevated. As, as, as this person is elevated, others around them are elevated. They benefit or they, and they're served. But the other uses people and steps on them as they rise to their place of greatness. Let me, tell you, let me tell you how you know you're walking in selfish ambition. Let me give you a couple of ways. One, you're walking in selfish ambition. Let me get a drink of water. My mouth is dry. It's probably because water's been crazy this week, but, you know. You lose passion to serve if it's not your idea. One point. You lose passion to serve if it's not your idea. Let me give you another one. You lose passion to serve if you're not leading it, right? You're all gung ho until somebody tells you that you're not the one that's gonna lead it. Then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I guess I'll go, (laughs) you know? What kind of of ambition is that? That's selfish ambition. You, You lose passion to serve if no one is giving you credit for your service. You lose passion to serve if you're not serving exactly where you think you should be serving in the midst of what you're doing, right? You, you, wanted, that, you wanted that spot, and you, and you got to take this spot. Now you don't even want to do it, right? That's selfish ambition. Paul says we can't have that if we're pursuing unity amongst us. But then he talks about empty conceit. Now, now, selfish ambition is about making yourself great at the cost of everyone else. Empty conceit is thinking that you're greater than everyone else. You, you, you sense the difference? One is about making yourself great, and one is about, the other is about thinking that you're great. In other words, empty conceit is thinking that you are greater than everyone else when there is really no real grounds for that position. It's not just conceit, but it's empty conceit. It's vain conceit. And either one of these positions lead us to making decisions and taking actions that can even appear good at times, but only end up damaging others and ourselves because they only take into account our best interest. Someone only looking out for themselves will more often than not do more to tear down the collective whole than they will to benefit it. They just don't have a choice. There's no other place to take it. And so Paul says instead of walking in that manner, walk in this manner, but in humility, verse 3. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But in humility, count others more significant than you, more important than you, more worthy of attention than you. Paul is not making a call to, to a kind of lowliness that just feels sorry for itself. He's not making a call to some sort of, you know, weird kind of grumbling on the ground and licking the dirt type of, you know, oh, I'm just some poor beggar type of thought. It's, it's, a different, it's a different way of looking at humility. It's not simply just looking down at the floor whenever you're spoken to. Listen to C.S. Lewis describe Humility. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy and smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, or telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. Probably when you meet this man, all of you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. So humility is not saying that you're insignificant. Humility is saying you are not the only one in the world that matters. Humility is saying that, listen, b- b- because you are who you are, which is someone creating the image and likeness of God, then you deserve my attention. Had a gentleman that, 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 that had a mental disorder that um, was in, engaging in discussion with me and my wife on all days yesterday. We were having a little date out, and, um, and he was walking by, and for some reason he just decided he wanted to chat. So he just stopped in the middle and while we were eating outside, and he started having a discussion and talking. And my first instinct was to cut him off, right? Because I'm like, man, I'm on a date with my wife. We got somewhere to, you know, got other things to do. And immediately I felt the Lord checking me. He's a person creating the image and likeness of God. He deserves conversation too. He deserves attention. He deserves time. Who spent time having a conversation with him today? Who spent time having a conversation with him this past week? And we had a conversation. He told me a bunch of riddles, many of which I can't figure out yet. I still don't, I still don't know the answer to them. They were, great, they were great riddles, great riddles. But we had a conversation, shared a little bit of a sandwich, right? Because he was like, hey, you, hey, you mind if I eat some of that, um, you know? I was like, sure, man, come on, let me cut you a piece. So we shared a little bit of a sandwich, had a conversation, talked. Because, because regardless of how the world sees him, he has value, doesn't he? That's the way the church has to operate. In those moments where we want to veer off, like, like yesterday for me when I want to veer off, we got we to take those checks that the Spirit gives us because he does prompt us. We have to take those checks and we have to operate and we have to move on them, right? And Sometimes we won't do it. Sometimes I won't have a great day. But we got to try to take as many of those checks that he gives us and we got to operate and step in them. And so walking in Christian humility is walking as if not only do you matter, but everyone else around you does as well. It's the type of humility that prompts us to live our lives serving other people. Emptying empowerment cannot be accomplished in a person who lives in the center of their own universe. You won't sacrifice Anything, if the only person with value in your midst is you. Paul says in verse four, let each of you not only look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the Christian life is one in which we think about ways in which we look to the interests of others. That's the essence of humility. We're, we're thinking about not our own interests, we're thinking about the interests of other people around us. That's what humility looks like. That's the essence of humility. Now, let's ask the question, why on earth do we even care about humility? Why should we care? Right? Why, why be humble? Humble gets, you, humble gets you stomped all the time. Why, why be humble? Well, we'll answer it this way. John Piper said this, he says, Christians walk through life feeling a humble sense that we owe service to people rather than them owing us. Why is that? The answer is that Christ loved us and died for us and forgave us and accepted us and justified us and gave us eternal life and made us heirs of the world when he owed us nothing. He treated us as worthy of his service when we were not worthy of his service. He took thought not only for his own interest but for ours. He counted us greater than himself. Who is the greater, he said, one who reclines at a table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at a table, but I am among you as the one who serves? End quote. We're humble because we don't have any room to be anything else. We're participants of of enormous grace. He gave us everything when we offered him nothing in return. How can we be haughty about that? How can we be arrogant about that? How can we be conceited about that? The only thing that should spring forth from that acknowledgement is a heart to serve. Now, don't expect an amen from the world when you go out doing this because that's complete and totally countercultural to what the world's thinking. As a matter of fact, the ideal of humbleness in a Greek context or in a Roman context in that day would have been insulting to them. It's like that's the easiest way to get stepped on in life. And so don't expect an amen from the world when you say, oh, no, 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 this is the way that we're supposed to live life, even when people give, even when people respond to it unkindly, or even when people respond to it negatively, or even when people do things that are contrary to, to, good, to good goodwill, and, and, and I still come back with service. The world will say, what are you doing? I'm not going to let anybody treat me like that. And so it's countercultural. But... And this is where we'll wrap up on. It is the way of your Savior. So if you, if, if you want to call it weak, then you can start by calling him weak. Verse 5. The ultimate example of emptying empowerment. So to cap off Paul's appeal to walk as a unified church that walks in humility and grows closer together, and serves one another more during struggle than even when they're in plenty, Paul leans on the example of Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He says, take this mind amongst yourself. Take this thought. Take this way of thinking. Take this way of behaving. Take this way of conducting your lives. What way? The way of Christ. The way of Jesus. You say, well, what did Jesus do? No one served the world better, and no one deserved the world's service more than Jesus. He served the world better, even though he was the one in the world most deserving of its service. You talk about about empty conceit, there's nothing empty about Jesus' greatness, and yet he served. He came to the earth and he said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we're talking about the greatest. We're talking about God. So there is no empty conceit in his name. And yet he served better than any of us. He says that's the mind you should take. That's the mind that you should have. Notice the humility that that is that is found in his in his in his hypostatic union if you will his god man his 100% god and his 100% man it says in verse in verse 6 who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped he was equal with god but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant And being found in human form, he humbled himself. And so in his humanity, he walked in humility, humbling himself all the way to the point of the cross. He was God, but he took the form of a servant. He was the creator, but he came in the form of his creation. That's what it means to serve. That's what it means to be emptied for the good of others, for the sake of others. He obeyed, even, the one, even though he was the one who commanded all obedience and was deserving and entitled to all obedience. The one who was entitled to everything sacrificed all of his rights. And this is the way the economy of the kingdom works. Those who yield the greatest sacrifice receive the greatest rewards. And so, what ends up happening in, in, in this text? Well, rather, even let's let's start back a few. Let's 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 think about a story in which there's a rich ruler. And, and Jesus is talking to this rich ruler, and he says, Matthew 19, verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed You, what then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house, everyone who has left brothers, everyone who has left sisters, everyone who has left father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. That's the economy of the kingdom. The economy of the kingdom is not that you step on whoever you have to step on, that you ignore everyone that you could possibly ignore, that you reject everyone that you could possibly reject, that you take take a high and mighty approach to every engagement that you have, and that when you get to heaven, you'll get it all. The economy of the kingdom says that that person would be lucky to even make it in. Do you understand? The economy of the kingdom says that it will be the least on earth. The people that that, that give of themselves and that take the background when it's necessary. That opt out when needed. That take the place of servant. When called upon, that is those people that move to the front of the line in the kingdom. You see it. In, you see it in this last verse in, in Philippians two, verse nine. So Christ, being that He paid the ultimate sacrifice, being that He served in the ultimate way, being that Christ paid the ultimate price, His glory is what's granted to him. Verse nine, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, Therefore, what? Because Christ came to earth, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, became obedient all the way to the cross, hung on the cross for people that did not deserve it. It wasn't because of the merit that that we garnered. Hung on a cross. And Paul says, therefore, therefore, for that reason, God has highly exalted him. He's elevated him bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. It's because he took the low road that he takes the highest seat in the universe. you understand? The economy of the kingdom says that those that are serving are the ones that are first. And those that are more comfortable only being served are the ones in the back. We want to dedicate our lives to this as a church. Amen? Amen. We want to seize every opportunity that we got. When there's an opportunity that the city, that the city is aching, we want, we want to lean in and try to figure out ways that we can plug in. And, there, and, there, and, and listen, listen, you can't plug in everything, Right? gonna be some things that you can't do you know sometimes you're gonna have to work right we get it but when there's an opportunity to plug in find your way dial in when there's a lunch break that you say hey you know what I got it dial in when there's a Saturday where you say hey man guess what I got a free Saturday dial in if there's a way for you to do so and we're gonna to try to create avenues, right? We're gonna we're gonna keep our ears open so that we can see. Okay, how can we plug in as a church? And listen, we're gonna tackle what we can. Then we're gonna call people to rest because you need it. And then we're gonna to try to recover. And then we're gonna to try to tackle something again, again, uh, again, the next time. The reason we're not having missional community is because we just gave out 700 cases of water. And so I know we got a lot of people that are aching, right? And so I'm like, okay, let's just dial back, and we'll come back. Next week, and we'll have missional community next week. But we want to create spaces and opportunities for us to serve because that is the path that our, that our Lord and Savior has paved for us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. Father, you died for us. You died for us. And so in so doing, Lord God, you you have shown us what it means, Lord God, to to live in this kingdom. It means to serve. It means to give of ourselves. In order that others, Lord God, might, might be enriched, might be strengthened might be elevated. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Your son died for us. And so out of our gratefulness, may we serve. May we serve you. May we serve your son. May we serve your spirit. We love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.